All right, so I'm going to give you um, several things, and, and it's so pertinent right now with, uh, you know, COVID-19 and, and all the stuff that, that some of us are dealing with. You have some individuals that have uh, lost their jobs. You have some individuals that have lost their health. You have some people that are complete extroverts that are going nuts with having to be uh, inside so much, et cetera, et cetera. So, so in many ways, many people really feel as though they're going through a crisis. And um, the, the downside to crisis is if we're not prepared for it, we can uh, act in selfish ways. We can act in hateful ways. We can retreat um, from, the, from the things that we should be doing. We can be um, shown as cowards and all sorts of things. And so what um, I hope to do is to be able to give you some things to think about so that we can work on building a character that is crisis proof, a character that enables us to be as um, godly as we, as godly in crisis as we are when things are just going as we'd want them to be. I'm going to walk you through this lesson by having us think for just a little bit about um, various individuals that we read about in the Bible and see what we can learn from them. Uh, Garrett brought up David, and again, Garrett, I appreciate your message. Uh, Garrett brought up David, and I think we learn, can learn so much about being men from David. And one of the things that we can learn is to develop our character before the crisis occurs. Some famous guy, I think it was Lombardi, said that, you know, crisis doesn't develop your character, it reveals it. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Our ability to withstand crisis, our ability to handle major issues in our life, whether they're spiritual or financial or health wise, is completely centered on what we did to get ourselves ready for it. Many of us remember in 1 Samuel 17, that's when David fights Goliath, but some of us don't always remember some of the smaller parts. Before David went on the battlefield to take on Goliath, he had his uh, conversation with King Saul, who tried his best to get David to reconsider, to get David to wear his armor. But notice what, what David says to Saul here in verses 34 and 35. David says, talking about himself, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, what we see in, in this situation with David is his experience growing up, knowing that God was the one who rescued him from the bear and the lion. And therefore, if God can rescue him from a bear or a lion, God can certainly rescue him from this Philistine because to God, it doesn't matter whether it's a bear, lion, a bat, a coronavirus. It doesn't matter what it is because none of these situations are bigger than God. So David learned young to trust in God for his safety and therefore fighting Goliath came rather easy for him because he had already learned these things. When, when we live outside of crisis for so long, we actually 
sometimes, sadly, don't develop the qualities that we need for when crisis hits. Let me give you an easy one. We should be praying in all situations, right? Whether we think they're small or big, we need to be going to our Heavenly Father in prayer. We need to build the habit of trusting God in the small things because all things are small in God's mind. And so if we can learn to trust God with the lion, to trust God with the bear, then when Goliath comes, we're ready for it. So let me give you these three things just to quickly think about this. We have to be faith first, godly men. Faith first. And that looks like trusting God in every situation. See, here's the reality. You know, Garrett did an excellent job of rattling through certain aspects of life that some of us feel strong about. Some of us were phenomenal athletes. Some of us may be phenomenal artists. Some of us are great with mechanics. Some of us are, are great academically, et cetera, et cetera. And we feel like supermen in those individual areas. And then we feel like Pee Wee Herman in the other ones. But if we stop focusing on us and start focusing on God and beginning to trust God in all situations, then it will enable us to have the energy and the confidence to move forward. If you follow me on Facebook, you know all my posts this month have been faith forward. That, that when we're faith first, it enables us to be faith forward. When, when you're led by your faith and not by your individual skill sets, you are going to be able to move forward regardless of the situation. So we need to learn to trust God in all situations. We need to trust that God can work through you. You know, he, I need to trust that he can work through me. You need to trust that he can work through you to achieve whatever it is that he wants achieved. See, sometimes we are um, messed up because it's not what God wants to achieve through us. It's what we want to achieve through us. And then this third component is super important. We need to learn to accept, embrace, and work with reality. I'm five foot six, maybe, right? I would love to be six four sometimes, but I'm not that. And I need to learn to accept, embrace, and work with whatever is real. Too often we get ourselves in misery, in anger, in doubt, in, in a, a lack of self-confidence and insecurity because we are trying to make ourselves into what we want us to be and God could care less about those things. He knows that we're able to be whatever it is that he wants us to be. Remember when uh, David, David, excuse me, when, when Paul had the thorn in the flesh and he was miserable about it. If you see what it says here in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, it says that three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul went from begging to have this thorn in the flesh removed from him to embracing it, almost being excited about it, because if that's how Jesus wants to work in his life is through some thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, but nevertheless to keep him able to serve God in every ministerial way that he wants him to, then Paul embraced that. And we need to look at that. We need to recognize that there's a lot of things we are not. Right? There's a lot of things we are not, and there's a lot of things we never will be. But we can always be all that God wants us to be.
We can always be all that God wants us to be. And if we learn to embrace that and just just soak it in and be like, I'm, I'm not what they want me to be, but I'm all that God wants me to be and be content with that. Because we're taught too often as men to be self-sufficient, self-sufficient, self-sufficient. But self-sufficiency is an absolute lie. None of us are self-sufficient. And anybody who thinks they're self-sufficient is simply falling into the trap of Satan. Every single one of us, even if you don't think you're dependent on some other human, you're definitely dependent upon God for every breath you breathe. And so we need to embrace that and recognize that Jesus is made even more powerful through our weaknesses. Accept it as the reality that is and move forward from that. Now, um, as we as we think of like, character traits that we don't want, right? Sometimes we are just drowning in self-pity. We're drowning in self-doubt and insecurity. But I want us to understand as we think about Moses and his conversation with God in Exodus 4, that when we doubt ourselves, we're really doubting God. When we look at a situation and say, I could never do this godly thing. How could I ever do this godly thing that God would want me to do? And you know God would want you to do it, but you're saying, I can't do that. Understand that when we're doubting ourselves, we're really doubting God. Keep in mind that when uh, Moses was going through a litany of excuses as, as to why he wasn't going to be able to lead the people of Israel, you get in here to verse 10 and 11. It says that Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? See, God was offended by this. Because if if God is asking you to lead in a certain way, and you're whiny excuse is that somehow you're not up to it. You're not competent for it. You're not capable of it. You're not, you're not being humble. You're offending God because God made your mouth. And so the families we have to lead and, and the responsibilities we have as godly men are fully within our capability, either presently or to be developed if we put the effort in that area. See, one of the reality is that, that exists that we have to be open to is that sometimes we're not good in godly ways because we don't put that kind of effort. We will literally spend hours and hours and hours a week watching TV, but we don't do that kind of, um, we don't put forth that kind of time studying our Bibles or entering in prayer or practicing the God-given qualities that we're supposed to practice. So we're weak in areas. Yes, we are in some cases, but it's not because of God's weakness and it's not even because of our inability. It's simply because we're not putting forth the effort that God would want us to put into it. And so let's not be like Moses in this situation where it seems he's being humble when he's simply, his doubting of himself is not really him doubting himself. It's doubting God. Now, another thing that sets us up, it's a character trait that, that we don't want to have because it sets us up for misery and for, for um, uh, uh, doubting God and, and all the sorts of, you know, using Garrett's word, toxic things. Remember, you are entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. So many times we think, well, I worked hard for something, therefore I deserve. Well, I studied real hard, so therefore I deserve. Well, I did this, therefore I, therefore I, therefore I, therefore I. No, 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 no. You can be doing everything as you're supposed to and still wake up one day with terminal cancer. 
okay? Don't be mad at God because you and me are entitled to nothing. We're entitled to nothing. It is by the grace of God that we breathe. It is by the grace of God that we have hope for heaven. It is by the grace of God that we can have forgiveness. It's by the grace of God that we can have a house or, or, or a car or any health whatsoever. And notice, notice the wisdom of Job. You know, after Job had his first um, about of having lost so much, you know, home and family and all of these things, it says, at this, Job got up. And tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and wor- in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. See, once you start to think of yourself as deserving things, well, I deserve good health. I deserve good friends. I deserve to have big muscles. I deserve to have a college degree. I deserve whatever, fill in the blank. Once you set yourself up as as believing that you're entitled to some of these things, then you set yourself up to be in opposition to God when you don't get the things you think you deserve that in many cases God may care less about. And so Job recognizes, naked I came from my, my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Like praise be God. Now, when he has all the, the sores and the boils and all of that, his wife comes to him and says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. But watch his reply. He says, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did, Job did not sin in what he said. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for a second how few complaints would come out of your mouth if you recognized that some things we get in this world are good in terms of like we enjoy them and they're comfort seeking and they're pleasurable and some things are, are the worst. They're torturous, they're painful, they're miserable. If we would learn to just embrace it, just accept it and recognize that we don't deserve any additional goodness, right? And so if you, if you were to embrace the mindset of Job, how much stronger your character would be in the midst of crisis. We go back to Paul now. You know, again, we can resist and resist and resist crisis situation. You know, you might, you know, be drowning in debt. You may have your best friend turned on you. You may have people out there trying to wreck your character. Could be a whole host of things. But crisis, crisis literally can bring us to Christ. Notice what Paul says about the crisis that he faced in his ministry. Verses 8 and 9 of uh, chapter 1, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we not, may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see these incredibly powerful and wise words of Paul. Paul didn't say, you know, the, the troubles that he was going through was God turning on him. Paul didn't look at God and say, why me? Paul didn't look at God and say, you know, this is unfair. This isn't right. I'm living all the things. I'm living in all the ways that I'm supposed to be living. I'm fighting for you day in and day out. And yet you allow me to be imprisoned. Yet you allow me to be beaten almost to the point of death, including a time when I'm beaten so bad that the only reason they stopped beating me is because they thought I was already dead. 
But he says, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Can you imagine if you just soaked up every crisis that you face by saying, how can this move me closer and closer to my Christ? And lastly, we use Jesus himself. You know, in Mark 4, Garrett also made reference to Mark 4, um, to the book of Mark. Yeah, Mark is, is just like a punch in the face gospel, isn't it? Right? And you get in Mark 4 um, a, a situation that we'll describe, but I think it helps to remind us of this. If Jesus isn't freaking out, neither should you. If Jesus isn't freaking out, neither should you. It reads here in verses 38 and 39, it says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. This is when a storm comes up while they're out on the waters and the, the apostles run to him and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, I'm not going to argue that the apostles shouldn't have gone to Jesus. I I'm suspect I certainly would have gone to Jesus if you had a great storm and you were con concerned for your life. But notice their, their question. Teacher, do you, don't you care if we drowned? When we don't have crisis-proof character, we don't, when we haven't just buried our character in our faith in Christ, we are very likely to accuse him of not caring. And if you study the book of Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews makes it very clear that our Jesus, our high priest, our king, he understands everything, every struggle, every pain that we feel. He understands it better than we do. And as, as a matter of fact, if there's any distance between us and Jesus in terms of understanding each other, it's not his lack of understanding of us. It's our lack of understanding of him. And how dare we ever allow our character to get to the point where we assume and conclude, or even question, that Jesus cares for us. So here's some questions that we can ask before we ever get into crisis, but certainly when we're in the midst of them. Number one, what can I learn from this situation? As opposed to, why is this happening? This isn't fair. This isn't right. I don't deserve this. Just keep asking the question, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? And then ask yourself, how can my struggle make me stronger? What is this going to help me to be better in? What, what, how is this going to, you know, in some ways toughen me up? What, what, what is this going to allow me to, to understand about even other people and the things that they go through with that may actually make me more compassionate and considerate of others? Then where is God in all of this? See, sometimes when we're in the midst of crisis, just like John the Baptist questioned the, the, the reality of Jesus coming as the Messiah because he was still locked up in prison, we sometimes are so self-centered that we have a bad situation happen in our life and we, we act as if God is not still on his throne, as if God is still not the creator of the universe. And let us never do that. Let us always remember that God is always in control and whatever degree of uh, situation we may be going through, it doesn't in any way, shape, or form mean that God has forsaken us and that we can't just go closer and closer to him. And then lastly, what are your eyes fixed on? What are you focused on? Are you focused on comfort? Because I'll tell you, it, it is a trap to be focused on comfort. It's a trap to think every day needs to be another day in paradise. It's never has been and it never will be, nor should we want it to be. So many things can bring us uh, stronger in our faith because of the struggles we fix. 
um, we face. And so let us focus our eyes on the prize. Let us focus our eyes on the goal, which is um, helping our families and us to, to reach the finish line of our faith and then to help as many other individuals as we can along the way. And so I give you this list um, of, of traits, right? So if I'm faith first, if my character is, is soaked and buried in Christ and my faith in Christ, I should be an honest person. And I mean honest when it is not easy to be honest. We need to be a giving person when giving is not easy. We need to be humble even in the face of all sorts of success. We need to be calm when everybody is panicking. We need to learn to be confident. You know, so many times we just talk, we don't know what we're talking about. And we act in ways that make us think that we're experts when we're not. And we need to be competent men. We need to be patient, right? Not everything is going to happen in a microwave second. We need to be disciplined, right? So many of us lack discipline. We can't even miss a meal one day without acting as if we've had the worst crime uh, imposed upon us. We need to be battle tested. There is something so true about being in the fight on a daily basis, right? The, 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 it, it develops calluses. It develops a toughness that enables you to, to endure. And we get soft mentally and even physically when we're not battle tested, when we constantly avoid every imaginable struggle. And then all of this through Christ allows us to be unstoppable. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, we need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. I have one last thing and then just final thoughts as I close. We need to pray about everything, small things, big things. It doesn't matter because it's all small to God. We need to keep God's voice in our head, right? Don't let God leave your head. And you do that by, by staying in his word. Keep his messages ringing in your ear so that when crisis hits, and all these other voices, you know, get referred to these articles he's reading, right? All these writers and authors and smart people. It's like, make sure God's voice is first and foremost in your head. Aggressively hunt for the good and the bad. There is good to be found. There is always good to be found. And look aggressively for that good. Do what you can today. There are so many situations that aren't going to be completely fixed today, but there's something you can do today to make it better. And lastly, and I mean this, and do what you want with this because you may not like it, but intentionally do something difficult every day. Be in the habit of going through difficult things every day. Self-impose some sort of difficult challenge on yourself because then when crisis hits, you'll be ready for it.